Welcome back to Real Relatable. My name is Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. Can you hear our surveillance uh, helicopters that the city voted to have to reduce crime? Yes. I cannot. I cannot. Wow. I cannot. I think they did that in Baltimore, too. They did. And they used it as a model to sell to St. Louis. And they voted for it. Wow. Overwhelmingly. Yeah. Wow. So we'll see how long this lasts. Because now on next door, people are like, I am disrupted. What is this loud noise? It's like, yeah, what do you think was going to happen? Right. It's a helicopter, you dummy. <laughs> oh, God. God bless America. Gosh. Um, it's hot up here because I have my door downstairs open. Mm. And um, because I'm painting my table. Like, I, I have this DIY project that I'm working I saw on. It. I was like, oh, did you? I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. I love the shape of those chairs. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So this is actually a gift from a friend of mine um, mm. a little over a year ago. So when I first um, left my ex-husband and moved into my own place, like I didn't have a whole lot. Like we split quite a bit, but we only had one dining table. Oh, no, yeah. no. Well, we had two, but I didn't want either one. Mm. Um, and so I didn't have a dining table for like a couple of weeks. It was fine. Um, but a friend of mine was like, Hey, like we went antiquing or to a, excuse me, to an auction. And they said, um, if you want this, like we thought that we could use it, but it's actually not suit for what we need it for. Do you want it? I was like, how do you have a a solid wood table just sitting around? (laughs) Yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) And so they were so sweet. They, they're really good supportive people. And so they brought it over and, uh, I mean, it was fine. Like it you know, it's clearly maybe like older in a sense, um, just pretty straightforward wood. It's got a finish or whatever, um, but it wasn't stained. And so finally I was like, I need to do something with this table. And so I sanded it down. I restained it a darker color. Um, and then I painted the bottoms with chalk paint, um, the sort of, it, I don't know, the color was a little bit off at first. Anyway, this is neither here nor there, but anyway, I love my home DIY projects. If y'all follow me on Instagram, you will see these in real time, or I also have a YouTube channel for this, but it's a lot of fun for me. I love getting into this sort of creative, um, artsy piece part of me uh, when I can. So it, it's been a fun project and pretty easy. Um, and it'll, I'll, it'll be done here from drying soon. Probably tomorrow it'll be ready to go. I'm excited to see that. Um, you kind of brought something up. I know we didn't like plan for this conversation and maybe it won't stay, but well, what you just brought to mind was um, how we are now embracing women and like influencers, I guess you would say mm-hmm. in a new way. Um, people who aren't going through going to fame in a traditional way like I have an agent I'm I'm joining a studio I'm writing right. an album whatever um I just saw that Jackie Ina was on the cover of Cosmopolitan now like that's huge a black woman influencer is on the cover of a magazine that used to be supermodel territory you know I feel like we are we're leaning into a new world of of these people I guess like we said like Amanda Seals and for me Yamanika Saunders um, <laughs> but people who are uh, sharing their gifts sharing their talents with the world and influencing people like mm-hmm. I'm about to start painting furniture because I saw yours I was like oh I can't wait to see how whatever <laughs> you know thoughts you have or like you know if you have any questions or need some further inspiration I'm happy to 
Did Look, you matter about it? Do you feel as a woman that when you are sharing things that you have, uh, like talents that you've cultivated over time, do you feel a level of, of what am I asking? I guess, so, do you feel exhausted by people uh, taking your information or do you feel like you're willingly giving it? Um, I just want to know about the late, the emotional labor that goes into being, being a woman who shares, because I feel like it's always going to be twisted into something that it isn't like what you're sharing is I'm painting my furniture. And then what a publication would do if they were reaching you, they'd be like for women, for black women's month, we're going to talk about these black women who paint furniture, you know, like, do you feel that? Or is that something I'm just seeing? In my experience, because, you know, I'm in a lot of publications at this point. I'm just kidding. I'm not. In any <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, okay, okay. <laughs> no, I'm not in a single published piece of work that I haven't done myself. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, no, but what I do, whether it's the podcast or my silly videos on Instagram or any of my DIY projects, uh, I do it for myself first and foremost. And for other people as well, I guess I should say. So I do it for myself because I enjoy it. And my hope is that it also brings joy or information or enlightenment or education or a sense of community to someone else. So if it were to be, I don't know, I can't say how I would feel if it were taken and taken and sort of spun in a different way. But I just, I do it for myself and it makes me happy. Like it's part of my joy. And um, yeah, I I guess I can't say how I would feel if someone were to take that um, and do something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I just wonder what it, what it is that makes people single out otherness when applauding achievements. Um, I know that for Black History Month, we do it Mm. because this person is Black. But when it comes mm -hmm. to Women's History Month, um, I I almost feel like, why aren't we, why wouldn't we talk about this outside of this month? Right, exactly. And we should. Yeah, like why, why just now? Or 1995? Yeah. Like, why? Why weren't we just talking about these people? <laughs> Why weren't we just talking about women who were who are making changes and making impacts in the world? Why is it just for this time? It it's it it just it boggles my mind as a fan of women that it has to be boiled down to that, you know? Yeah, well, I think we can talk about it as if it, you know, Black History Month. Um, or mm-hmm. how now we're celebrating Black voices and Black creatives and Black business and all of these things. Um, and we put the emphasis on Black because we want people to know you can do it too. Yeah. Um, to see yourself in spaces. Like you, if you don't see it, you don't know that you can be it. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, we need to be able to highlight that because it's it can be transformative for someone else. However, I understand what you're saying because we had a conversation recently with the organization Black and we were talking about how we identify things. Um, And so not pointing out Black, white, Asian, et cetera, in your conversations, if it's not pertinent to it, 
um, for example, when people tell stories and they just throw, you know, it's like a white person telling you a story about an interaction with someone who'd be like, yeah, I met this black guy and da, 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 da. And you're waiting for the connection on why it's important that he's black, but it doesn't happen, you know? And it's not like, uh, what's it, the police identifier, you know, you've got a lineup and you need to, you need to determine who was, who it was, you know, that would be important to know their race to be like, oh, okay, that's who I'm looking for. Right. Or if a, if race is important to determine their experience of an interaction. Um, so I think that in that, in that context, if it's not actually pertinent to what you're talking about, it doesn't matter. And the women in the black context for me, and what I think I would hope everyone would be in agreement with is that we want to highlight the excellence mm-hmm. and the beauty of who women and black people and minorities can be and can mm-hmm. do. Agreed. And I think the the emphasis, especially for black women, I'm also biased because of my experience with black women, but I think it's more important to highlight it for black women because of the amount of barriers that they have to success. Yeah. Based on our disgusting world, (laughs) you know? So that's why, that's why um, I personally like it, but I I just wanted to know from your perspective as a black woman, how does that feel? Because for me, I'm like, hoorah, like, this is awesome. Um, but also there's another part of me that's like, well, we might want to normalize this. You know, we, we might want to just say this Lorraine Hansberry is an, is an amazing writer and who writes, yeah. who wrote amazing things and you should read it. And that's the end of it. But adding she is a black woman and she has this history and she had these interests and all these things just add so many levels to the stories that she told. I think the biggest difference is whether we're tokenizing her blackness or your, your gender Mm -hmm. as, Oh, well we have 48% of our workforce or whatever, you know, like if it's tokenized, that's a different thing, but if it's celebrated as representative in a good way, um, or again, pertinent to whatever it is that you're talking about, whatever it is that you're doing or what people need to see. I think, I think us saying that Lorraine Hansberry is a black woman that was an incredible playwright, et cetera, that is highlighting her and celebrating her for being a black woman. But I understand what you're saying. And I think eventually we might get to the point where these sort of identifiers are, we won't have to have them or we won't oh need goodness. them. Yeah. But it's not now. <laughs> like I no, mean, I, I like no, don't it, even know if it's in our lifetime. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Women's History Month and its origins as a national celebration in 1981 passed by Congress, which authorized and requested the president to proclaim the week beginning March 7th, 1982 as Women's History Week. Throughout the next five years, Congress continued to pass joint resolutions designating a week in March as Women's History Week. 
1987, after being petitioned by the National Women's History Project, Congress passed additional legislation which designated the month of March 1987 as Women's History Month. Between 1988 and 1994, Congress passed additional resolutions requesting and authorizing the president to proclaim March of each year as Women's History Month. Since 1995, presidents have issued a series of annual proclamations designating the month of March as Women's History Month. These proclamations celebrate the contributions women have made to the United States and recognize the specific achievements women have made over the course of American history in a variety of fields. So this month, of course, we want to celebrate for everything that women do, have done, and will continue to do for our country. But more importantly, we want to celebrate Lorraine Hansberry, who has been um, an incredible uh, an incredible activist for human rights and really paved the way for a lot of us. Yeah, I, you know, Lorraine Hansberry as just a cultural figure isn't someone that I grew up learning about. And I don't know if that was someone that you grew up learning about at all, but she came to me um, probably when I was a teenager or so with Raisin in the Sun Mm. um, and learning about her work. And, you know, obviously culturally, we learn so much through entertainment, but something happened in um, the evolution of television and movies and Hollywood that we kind of lost the connection to live theater, which mm-hmm. I feel is so mm, visceral. You know, it's like you have to be in that moment with those actors, with that story. They are reacting off of the audience reaction. Right. And for somebody who can control that audience reaction, as well as Lorraine Hansberry did, um, August Wilson, another uh, amazing Black playwright as well. Those people who can translate real American life, um, especially Black American life, put it on stage and say, this is literally what we're going through. Audience, you have to chew it, you have to swallow it, and this is what it is. I think that she is probably the example of how how impactful that is because I think a raisin in the sun I mean I don't know if that's something that was brought to your attention as a young child but I remember hearing about a raisin in the sun and having it be portrayed to me as something that a white person has ingested and that became their understanding of black experience Mm, yeah I so I I recognize the name of A Raisin in the Sun um, in terms of the play, um, but I don't remember it. And really, like in watching this documentary, so Jonathan and I watched a documentary about Lorraine Hansberry as we prepared for this episode and to learn a bit more um, about her. Um, and for for y'all that don't know, Lorraine Hansberry, she wrote A Raisin in the Sun, which is a play about a struggling Black family, which opened on Broadway to great success. Hansberry was the first Black playwright and the youngest American to win a New York Critics Circle Award. Throughout her life, she was heavily involved in civil rights, and unfortunately, she passed at the age of 34 of pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. so young so young oh my god I know that's that's so just so it's depressing and it's um whenever you have I guess you we could say a legend comfortably mm-hmm. when you have a legend who does pass away so young and is so prolific in that young life it's like what else could they have given the world if they had a few more years exactly you know and- 
Jonathan, to your point about, you know, bring, being able to bring these stories into a play form, I guess I hadn't really thought about it in that way. I don't know that I've ever really been a person to go see plays, mm. but um, to your point about how we've evolved into more so seeing movies and everything's so edited in that versus in a play, you're getting everyone's true reactions and everyone's sentiments in that moment. And um, that was a big concern of A Raisin in the Sun um, from what I learned in that documentary is that they were like, how are people going to take this? But she <laughs> did it so well. And it really, you know, it really enlightened a lot of people. Um, of course, it didn't come without its backlash. but what doesn't when right. something's about to do something that disrupts your comfort. Right. What doesn't when, when something is brought up by a black woman as well, <laughs> they're Absolutely. like, well, I'm really not trying to hear this, you know? Absolutely. But what she did with Raisin in the Sun and, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to I actually I got the play from a thrift store. So it's like out there. <laughs> you can get you can find the book and just read through it. It's a pretty quick read. But um, it's about a family, a black family who lived in Chicago um, and just recently lost a, a family member. I want to say it's the father. It's been a while since I actually read it. Um, but their father, the father of the family passes and they have the opportunity to get an insurance payout, essentially. Mm, and mm. just the oh, conversation right. of mm -hmm. money right. in the black family was not something that people saw, you know, to see how important this amount, this, this payout could be the possibility of life after you get a certain amount of money. That's not even a conversation that people were having. And Lorraine brought that to a, the stage, to the Broadway stage. And yeah, people were were pushed back by that because they were like, wait a minute now. <laughs> You're telling me that their whole life can change because somebody's payout came through? Like, not like people haven't experienced that, but they don't understand the impact of it because, you know, I think a lot of people who aren't impoverished don't understand the power of receiving money when there's one comma. And maybe mm -hmm. in front of the comma, there's a one. And that is still make or break for a lot of people. Absolutely. And it's true to when that play came out. I want to say it came out in 1960, but I might be wrong. 1959 it came out in 1959. Okay. There we go. Perfect. And I think it's also important for the listeners, listeners to know that part of why Lorraine was who she was in being this activist is because her father was too. Um, her father was so involved in ending discrimination. And so it makes sense that, you know, she took on that as well. Um, at some point throughout her father's fight, he gave up on America and actually moved to Mexico. Um, but that's when Lorraine stayed in Chicago. Um, and unfortunately, her father passed away while he was in Mexico. But uh, Lorraine continued, you know, to do what she was doing. She moved to Harlem, which was like the center for Black activists. Um, and a lot of what Lorraine was fighting for and a lot of uh, the activists were fighting for was to know that it's like... A, what they said in the documentary is that liberal left activists, it's not just about social, but it's about economic rights. And so that, you know, the play of A Raisin in the Sun being centered on uh, Black economics or Black wealth that, you know, they then inherited, it, it was integral to the story. And if I understand it correctly, they were looking to purchase a home. It was like right after 
the end of segregation or maybe um I guess with the play coming out in 1959 it would have happened before then so let's say it was um with the just buying a house in a white neighborhood Mm -hmm. and getting backlash from that is that do I have that right I think that's what it is I I feel so bad coming here and and saying yes that's what it is I haven't read that play (laughs) since I was early 20s so it's been a minute but yeah um yes it's about it's about what the opportunity of wealth could bring Mm. um and there's arguments within the home it's Mm. arguments within the home there's there was a um a piece of the play where um two characters are arguing against uh money and freedom and and deciding whether or not they're the same thing you know, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, um, for black folks, especially during that time, I won't even say it's not during right now, uh, financial free financial freedom is the freedom that they're really looking for. And it's yeah. just putting putting that name on it um was new at the time and it was revolutionary. Absolutely. And that's still an argument that's being made now as we talk about reparations and what that means. And um, this is probably a whole other topic for another time of what reparations can do. And it's not just dishing out money. You know, it's there's a lot that would go with it if you're thinking about um, the possibilities of getting out of the neighborhoods that you're in and um, education about money and wealth or um I mean, the list would go on, but there it's a multi-layered thing. There are a lot of people who are so much better well-versed at speaking about reparations than I am, and I like to listen to them. But um, I would just, anyway, that's, again, another topic for another time. But um, this is part of what that would be in terms of that sort of economic or financial freedom um, that Lorraine was, was fighting for and, and really kind of brought to the forefront with the Raisin in the Sun. Yeah. I think there's another reason that I was personally drawn to Lorraine and her um, queerness brought into the conversation. Yes, Lorraine's um, queerness was brought into the conversation with a book called The Ladder, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was interesting because so y'all Lorraine married a white man, a white Jewish man, I believe, who. Uh, pursued her. And then eventually she sort of conceded, if you will. I mean, there was love there, but, um, you know, she literally said, I have now admitted to myself that I love you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and then quickly followed up with, I'm a writer and I'm going to write. And these are the things I'm going to do. And it's really cute that I love you, but like, I'm still this person and I'm independent, you know, asserted herself. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's good though. You like, you, you need to be able to do that and still have yourself within a marriage or a partnership or whatever, like you need, you need to still keep yourself. And she did that through um, everything that she did with her activism, with, you know, writing the ladder um, and just in general with, with who, who she was. And there's something that I took away from the documentary, just about like her demeanor or like her way of being and her personality is that she would have these interviews and she just had this kind of like cool, like sort of sly way of smoking, you know, you just, not that we're, we're not advocating smoking y'all, but um, you know, back, back in the day, she's like, you know, take a swig and she's like listening intently. And then like, (laughs) 
gives <laughs> yes. gives the answer and it's like reading everyone in the interviews too like why would you ask me something like this not in my words but in her very beautiful way it's very sleek and it's it's educated and it's it's yes. so powerful yes. um I just I don't I really love that I really love I'm with that. you I think that's what stands out about the people of her time is, uh, you know, her and uh, James Baldwin and Nina Simone and all those mm -hmm. people who were super thoughtful, Eartha Kitt, people who were super thoughtful. And when they were when they were faced with other people's view of who they were without knowing them, they challenged it. And I love people that challenge the norms. They talk about intersectionality. They talk about why that question came through the way that it did because of misogyny and racism and hetero, you know, and heteronormativity and all these kind of different things. Like they came with that. So there's more than just uh, a puff of a cigarette. It's like, I'm gonna give you a minute to hear what you just asked me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to read you down. <laughs> you know, I'm yes. going to let you know, this is why I'm not going to answer the question and why I'm asking you to uh, investigate why that question came to your mind. I right. love it. It's like yeah. the thinkers of that time are incredible. And I, we have that now as well, but it's, you know, in a different way or now you, I might argue we have even more because I know social media is like, you know, double-edged sword, if you will, but the beautiful part of it is like the knowledge that you can gain and then also bringing people together and helping with the movement Something that I thought was really powerful that um, Lorraine wrote in one of her journals, she said, Negroes are so angry and white people are so confused and sensitive to criticism. Man, <laughs> that sounds like it was written in 2021. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be written for the last 400 something years. Like, <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest, like seriously. Yeah. And <laughs> I think, again, like she was of a class of people, right? There was a lot of people during her time that we now know and we now honor, but those at the time were revolutionary artists. And the art scene was also not held in the same regard that it is now as like, you'll see Beyonce nowadays make the political statement and it'll be taken seriously. Whereas before it was like, oh, you are a communist and you are weird and get that off of the TV, get that off of Broadway. Like you're bringing ideas mm -hmm. and trying to trying to manipulate people. And really what what these people were asking was, why don't you think just one more time about this. Mm -hmm. Think about it one more time. You know, she had contemporaries that, like I, I already mentioned her because she's like my favorite person, but Nina Simone, who through music brought that message out. You know, you listen to um, like Mississippi Goddamn and it's like, oh my God, like people aren't ready for that. You listen to even people right before her, like Billie Holiday, who had Strange Fruit. That's not stuff that people were ready to learn about and hear about, but it was something that Black people were already living through. And they were just mm -hmm. articulating that in such a powerful way that you listen to those songs and you feel that moment. They're describing, you know, uh, bodies swinging from a tree, eyes bulging, twisted mm -hmm. mouths, all this kind of stuff. It's like, they've seen this, yeah. you know, Lorraine, she's talking about poverty in Chicago. She's seen it, you know, she's there. And when you have to bring that to an audience that that is foreign to, and they think that what they're going to enjoy is this kind of like 
Jetson's life <laughs> coming mm-hmm. up uh, and they don't have to look around and see that other people are not in that space. It's jarring. And that I think is powerful. And so when you talk about like social media and women who are having those thoughts today and sharing those thoughts today, I think about people that I personally really enjoy. Like um, there's Amanda Seals, who I think mm-hmm. does an incredible job of, of sharing a message in several different ways, mostly through humor. But she's sharing a Black story, knowingly to a larger audience to hopefully get through their head. Mm-hmm. There's another comedian who I love from New York. <laughs> My husband can't stand her. But <laughs> <laughs> Yamanika Saunders, I think she does a similar thing. You know, she she tells it like it really is. And people are listening to these mm-hmm. people. And hopefully we don't have to have a, a tragic you know, they lost the ability to perform Billie Holiday. They Mm -hmm. lost their mind, Nina Simone. They were gone too soon because of cancer. Lorraine Hansberry, Mm -hmm. like they were blackballed. Monique, and I'd love to talk about Monique because that's important to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Yeah, I'm just really hoping that as we learn, as we look back, and we see these people who mean so much to us now, we see their contemporary versions and we say, let's let them have their voice. Let's Absolutely. let them do their thing. I think the the biggest, the biggest impact is meeting people where they are. And that's exactly what, you know, the people that you just mentioned and, or the women I should say that you just mentioned and Lorraine Hansberry were doing is, okay, so you like to go see plays. I'm making a play about race. Yep. You like to listen to music. I'm about to put it in your ears, you know, and, and that's how we have this transformation um, in whatever way that you can meet people where they are. And a lot of what Lorraine wrote about um, was our people and to tell their story. And also to know that despite black people who achieve prosperity, you're still subject to racial violence. I mean, you know, Beyonce is subject to racial violence. And that sounds crazy to say. And we're not just talking about physical. We're talking about violence in terms of the words that are being used, the, uh, the way that people are characterized, et cetera, that it's violence. The places that they're allowed to be. Think about the places that they are kept from as well. Um, Specifically thinking about Janet Jackson of the Jacksons, who I don't know all the details, you know, because like, ew, sports, get away from me. But (laughs) the whole uh, exposing of her nipple thing was really, Mm -hmm. I mean, that sidetracked the hell out of her career. Mm -hmm. Um, And just recently, just this year, weeks ago, as of this recording, Justin Timberlake finally apologizes publicly in in a notes app release. Like it's, it's just, it's insane that like this woman who contributed, contributed to popular culture in so many ways, almost lost her career and comes from wealth, comes from a legacy of success. And still because she's a black woman, I will say, I think it's because she's black. Mm Mm-hmm damn near lost everything and Mm -hmm. still did not get she didn't get the career that she should have been able to have and now she's at an advanced age 
don't think she's going to be pop lock and dropping with Megan Thee Stallion. Like, I don't think I'd pay to see it, though. Well, I mean, (laughs) that would be lovely. (laughs) But I don't think she's going to get that time back. So while we have them in their in their prime, when they're when they're going through, you know, their storytelling years, I guess we'll call it that, you know, when they're falling in love and breaking up for the first times. And that's when the the juice of their art is going to happen to take that away so easily from I know it's going to be because they're black but especially when they're black women I think you just see that so often that it's like you cannot turn to uh women's history month and start talking about you know all the wonderful things that are happening without talking about how misogyny has affected it like why do we have to have Women's History Month. It's because we have all this misogyny that steals from women, especially Black women, and steals their stories and takes it away. Because I'll be damned if a Black woman has thoughts about racism or class or has a nipple. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, God forbid. I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) No, no, you're good. I just, that reminded me of the criticism. I got to get to it. It was the last play that Lorraine wrote or the last 1964 was it was it um the sign in Sydney Brewstein's window yes yes there we go the sign in Sydney Brewstein's window is the second and last stage play by Lorraine Hansberry um the play's about a man named Sydney his pitfalls within his personal life and struggles with bohemian culture interesting Um, The play premiered on October 15th, 1964, and received mixed reviews. It did encompass themes of race, suicide, and homosexuality, Mm -hmm. and also just focuses on individual characters learning how to cope with life. Of course. (laughs) Of course course. they didn't like it. Why would they? And yeah, so she did get a lot of backlash from this one for sure. And what's sad is that, so we had mentioned that Lorraine passed from pancreatic cancer. Um, So this was a crazy thing that I learned about in this documentary is that she went to the doctors when she was feeling ill, right? Her husband and her doctor knew that she had pancreatic cancer, but never told her. Oh my God. They never told her. So talk about women's rights or even, you know, what men thought that women could handle. And even the doctor came on and said, well, we didn't think that or well, I didn't think that it was um, dire to tell her. Meanwhile, in the documentary as well, you get, you know, her journal entries that are narrated so beautifully. Um, of course. They're narrated oh so beautifully. It's like the the sound of the 50s, you know, if mm-hmm. you, you know, if you can feel that or hear it sort of. And um about how she's laying in bed and she's like, I have to make these edits that they want for the last play that she wrote. And she wasn't able to do it um, in the way that she wanted to. She didn't have the energy. Meanwhile, she's just like, okay, I'm sick, but the fact that her husband and her doctor did not tell her is insane. It's absolutely insane. It's so dark. Um, really? On, on a side tangent regarding that, um, it reminds me of Lulu Wang's story. Um, and she, Lulu Wang directed The Farewell, which I think 
is a beautiful film. And if you haven't been able to see it, please do. Regardless of your feelings about Aquafina and her disappearing and reappearing black scent, depending Ooh. on um, Aquafina, you know, Aquafina, that she's a rapper slash comedian who has now become a prestige actress. Maybe if I saw her. Oh, listen, listen, listen. So Uh-oh. do y'all know if y'all are listening? <laughs> <laughs> so The Farewell is a, is a film about um, a, a, an Asian-American girl who is played by Aquafina, based on Lulu Wang, the director. Um, and they, her grandma is diagnosed with um, cancer and the family decides to not tell her. Um, so it just reminded me of that story. And there's so many complications. I mean, obviously, they had two hours of film for it. Highly recommend. I want to say it's on Hulu right now. But um, I know that part of part of what people say when they don't disclose that information is that it'll extend their life. It'll it'll improve the quality of life because they're not oh. constantly thinking about the imminent end that they're approaching. On the other hand, I know the history of medical practices with black women and right. which <laughs> a is lot of definitely that is, another yeah. conversation i know I've, I've spoken about it on um one of the first episodes of real relatable with the black maternal health issue which is again another story for another time or another topic for another time but it is it's horrific yeah it's a lot of deceit so i i do um i i wonder if did they, they didn't try to treat her at all not that I understood besides um, like gave her some meds for pain and things like that, but, um, but still like not being told that. And I can understand if there's, if maybe there was someone who was more fragile with their mind, Mm -hmm. but as strong and I mean, strong and in a good way and sharp and um, resilient and, powerful Lorraine was mentally like that's who she was they really think she couldn't handle that oh lord you know again though you know uh I know that a lot of uh what Lorraine uh, Lorraine's politics came from learning about the intersectionality of all these different things uh Mm -hmm. that we mentioned before uh racism and and heteronormativity and you know, massage and wall and all that stuff. Um, I think that, wait, I lost my train of thought now. Damn it. No, to that, I have a quote. Go ahead. Exactly. As Lorraine said, we cannot lead with sighted eyes and feeling heart and not know or react to the miseries that afflict this world. So it is all encompassing is what she was looking for. And not just about us as black people. It's the, again, the miseries of the world. Yeah. Do you think that Lorraine Hansberry's thoughts would be as um, permeating and lasting if she were a man? Do you think that her experience as being a woman in this world, especially in America, have aided in that storytelling, have aided in the backstory? Of course, because I... I think that when you have a minority, whether that be by sex or race, doing something that is so powerful, that's when it sticks more. And I, I think that's when that when it's heard more as well. So you, I mean, around this time, you have your James Baldwin, your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X, et cetera. And 
sure, they were along the fight, of course, absolutely. But being from a woman, a Black woman like a Lorraine, who was so eloquent and powerful um, with what she did, I think that that resonates differently with people, um, specifically people who are going to support, but then also in changing the minds of those who maybe wouldn't or um, were on the fence or whatever, because and, and maybe to empower other women who looked like her or women in general to use their voices as well. And so I love that. Like yeah. I, and I, and we, we want to celebrate that, especially of course, you know, it's not just like our black history month or our, you know, women's history month. We need to celebrate it all the time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and they have, it's just, we have so many people that have so many stories and powerful ways to communicate that. And I know that today we focus on the arts, but I think that the power of art is that it is something that everyone can approach. And that's why mm-hmm. it's such a powerful tool when it comes to uh, messaging and, and storytelling is how we're going to, in my opinion, storytelling is how we're going to advance all causes. You know, it's like, this is what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this this example of what I'm going through in this many ways, maybe put it in a song, maybe put it in a play, in a movie. And if it's coming from my perspective, um, trust that it is true, you know, um, and please do something about this. And I think that the power of Lorraine is that she hit Broadway. And what is Broadway but a bougie (laughs) entertainment experience that people that do not have anything to do with poverty or Black people or Chicago... Mm you know, they are now forced to sit for two hours and take it in and hear it. Same with, I'm going to keep bringing it around in a circle and I apologize. I'm so stuck on these women, but I I love them. Um, Same with Nina Simone, who is playing jazz music, who, you know, of course, jazz at first was not for popular audiences. But once people started calling it cool, um, it became something that the elite would enjoy, you know, Mm -hmm. so it changed from this is kind of nasty but I learned it recently jazz used to be called jizz because that's what you yes oh my so they gosh said that, yes so it used to be called jizz music because it was what black people played and it and the way that we danced to it was more in the hips and more sexual and mm. so people were like oh that jizz music that's all you're gonna do is have sex and be deviant and all this kind of stuff wow I had no idea yeah so imagine like thinking about jazz the way that we understand it now yeah, I, that a lot of that had to do with the time of um, where where um, Nina Simone was coming up. So you had all these people who were classically tra- trained and still enjoyed jazz and enjoyed yeah. playing jazz and elevated the art form to a point where it became a bougie white experience. And so they're like, you know what? Boop. Nope. We're <laughs> going to go ahead and keep telling our story in this music and you're going to have to listen. And it's just so powerful. So like to force people to maybe not force people, but to, to have this audience, this active audience who wants to engage with your art style, whether it be jazz or theater or movies or whatever, um, and use that time that you have of theirs to, to speak for your people and be somewhat of an activist, I think is just absolutely incredible. And I, I'm biased because I was raised by women. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I was adopted by a single mother, 
um, she, who has three sisters <laughs> raised by, you know, um, their mother who outlived my grandfather. So my whole life was women. I like girls better. I'm queer. The queer story, girls are better. <laughs> like Girls are nicer. Girls are better. And so like you get drawn to these people and these figures have been kind of floating in my orbit ever since I was little. And now just now getting to know the nuance of why it's important it's made these people so much more important to me. Mm -hmm. And I see the power that Lorraine and Nina have. And also, you know, they were good Judies. And you know that Young, Gifton and Black was written about Lorraine Hansberry. So it's just like, this is, this is more than just, we're going to tell white people about us. It's like, we're going to support each other and engage with each other and see how we can do this together. It's, it's incredible. Did you get a chance to see Malcolm and Marie by chance? Uh, yeah, I started, but I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. And I told you I was going to finish it, but I didn't because I couldn't, it just, I, I never felt compelled to start it again. What are the reasons that you did not want to finish it or were not able to? Because getting through the first 30 minutes as it was, was like, this is frustrating Mm -hmm. because you have this man who is so misogynistic to his girlfriend who just is like totally supportive of him. And what was he, a filmmaker or something Mm -hmm. like that? And, um, you know, he, she's by his side for all of these things and she's making his ass mac and cheese from the box when they (laughs) get home at the wee hours of the morning at, for, from this after party or whatever. And he just talks down to her Mm -hmm. and, um, it just, it's disgusting. And the way he eats milk cheese makes me Oh my God. My oh <laughs> my And grunting and snorting. And oh like the way God. that he moved his fork, like yeah. in the mac and cheese, you're not uh-huh. doing anything. Like you're just <laughs> moving stuff around. You're not like stirring it, you know, so it gets cool, you know, or evenly, whatever. Oh it just, my goodness. I couldn't do it. Well, I'm going to give a little tiny spoiler, but there's so much more in there that doesn't spoil the whole thing Mm -hmm. but he in the course of their argument gets a review for his film that just had premiered you know early hours before and uh part of the review is saying that this jazzy movie by so-and-so and and such and such you know talks about the black experience and he's all bent out of shape because they did call out in coded and uncoded language that he's a black filmmaker you know, and it's a story about blackness. And he goes on this rant about why does my story have to be about blackness? Because it stars a black person and is written by a black person. Why can't it just be the story, you know, part A, B and C and like Mm -hmm. call it a day. And I think that a lot of the reason why Malcolm and Marie was so divisive, whereas a, a raisin in the sun is not, is because this criticism that I think is valid that's brought to brought to the forefront by Malcolm in the movie was written by a white man and (laughs) perspective is so important and that's why I think that like you couldn't have a raisin in the sun written by a white person without Mm -hmm. it being wholly offensive you couldn't have obviously uh Mississippi goddamn written by a white person in any way because they don't understand it so it's it's wholly important to have somebody who is experiencing it be the one who's sharing it and then Mm -hmm. also to to see a movie written by a white man for a black man 
but especially a black woman, it just felt like maybe you watched a few like Pam Greer movies and had your idea set, you know, and was like, this is what I'm going to say a black woman's experience in this situation would be. And it felt it, it felt like I ordered a cheese Danish and you gave me a crouton. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> I, this is why Lorraine Hansberry had to do it. Like, this is why mm-hmm. we need, we need the origin of the stories. We need these storytellers to be of the subject <laughs> because whether or not it's good. And like, again, I like the movie. I still criticize it. Um, whether or not it's good, it, it has to be, true and if it's Mm -hmm. not true I think it needs to be marketed marketed the same way that you'll have like a Marvel movie marketed like look at all the fun stuff we did with our camera look at all the stars that we had in our movie not this is a compelling tale of two black you know people in the entertainment industry da 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 and this is a relationship movie all this stuff it's like what do you know about the dynamics of black men and black women in romantic relationships. Right. And I guess in that instance, so if you, the first thing that people are going to look up, if something just totally flops, especially when it's specific to a race experience, you're going to be like, who the hell wrote this? You know? And so then you're going to look it up and then you're going to see, Oh, it was, so-and-so who is xyz cannot relate to that so um <laughs> i wonder if we say like it's written by a black man like from the get-go or if he produced the movie or whatever it's like okay we know what lens is supposed to come from you know like from the get-go without i don't know the worst part about it is that it's a movie about a filmmaker who just finished his premiere and then um gets a gets a good review but is hung up on the bad stuff later right. on um and it's based on the actual director's experience after he released the movie Assassination Nation I don't know if you've seen that movie mm-hmm. not a lot of people have cuz it did not get good reviews and I mm-hmm. guess that was the experience afterwards but they flipped it from the criticism of him being a man who directed a woman led film cuz it stars four women um And I guess he was criticized for that because he wasn't telling their story. Like he was telling a story about how he felt the story should be told. Um, And he changed it to, um, for the movie, a black filmmaker telling a story about a black woman and and the reviewer thinking that he's not getting it. It just felt so convoluted and Mm. so odd. And I'm like, you know how we could have avoided all of it? It's just having a black person involved in here and like credited for story like you could still direct it and do a great job but to not have black women like you had Zendaya and they say that there was collaboration and all this kind of stuff but seeing the movie and feeling the movie are two different experiences and it's just why don't why are we still in 2021 seeing headlines about first first black woman to direct a Marvel movie Mm. like how long have we had Marvel movies? Like right. you didn't think that black women had a perspective here that could be good. You know, it's just, mm. it's crazy. I feel like, yeah. I feel like I'm rambling right now, but no, like, I hear it's you. just, it is so frustrating in art to see black women disappear. 
you know right but appear as the star like right it's and i'm nervous about this billy holiday movie i will say what what did it come out in on i think it's out on hulu okay as of yesterday um and the reason i'm nervous about it is because another idol of mine or mm-hmm. someone that i connected to when i was a kid was monique the comedian loved queens of comedy loved the parkers loved anything mm-hmm. that she would touch i'm like oh my goodness for several reasons one i was raised by women and she reminded me kind of of the women who raised me like they yeah. love this kind of humor she was funny but also like you didn't see a lot of fat people on tv if they weren't mm. the butt of the joke and she was the lead of her own sitcom it was her and her daughter on on the parkers who were both uh fat black women and they were both funny but they were also desirable and getting an education and all these other positive things and so monique is monique is huge for me so then monique was involved in precious um which i really did not like that movie do not like the movie but it was prestige and she got nominated for an oscar and won the oscar but oh okay for that movie she, I think she got paid like $50,000 for that movie. Hmm. Like it was like, I'm going to do you a favor, Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels being oh. a black male director. And and we can get into from Malcolm and Marie into Lee Daniels doing this. We can talk about how black men don't necessarily protect black women all the time. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we <laughs> go. Here we go. Because Monique's story got turned upside down at the height of her career and it just bothers me because the reason that she is now not everywhere and is still an oscar winner is because when the oscar awards are happening and you get your nominations and you're doing a campaign for your film you have to go to luncheons you have to go to brunches you have to go take meetings you have to do interviews and stuff and monique said you know i did the movie if you'd like to consider my performance for an award you have access to the movie i just gave birth to twins i'm gonna go be with my family i'm done with this like i'm not campaigning i did the work and that is um and during her acceptance speech which because of course she did win uh the uh, the oscar for um i think it was lead actress i want to say it was lead actress um she said Thank you to pretty much everybody except for Lee Daniels, the director. But she also said to her husband, who was her manager as well, said, you know, I want to thank you for giving me the strength to know that sometimes it's not about doing what's popular, but doing what's right. Mm -hmm. And that the performance can be recognized rather than the politics. And it was just like so powerful. That'll probably be the last time that she is on that stage or invited to that award show because the powers that be, which are. Lee Daniels, the director of that movie, Tyler Perry, one of the producers, and Oprah Winfrey, oh. another producer of the movie, all went on another tour after that saying she's difficult to work with. You oh, know what? And that's one, super dangerous. Talk about violence, you know. To a black woman, yeah. to say to have these powerful people like Oprah is the For one. sure. For sure. To have Oprah Tyler Perry and Lee Daniels, a new award-winning director, all say that the star is difficult to work with. She'll never be worked with again. Yeah. You know? However, what's her face? What's her name? Um, The one who was in Knocked Up, Kate. No, that's not right. Yeah, I've heard that she's super difficult to work with, but 
she continues to get gates, she gets to do her know? movies yeah yep. but she's white yeah so many layers there and i think i'm pretty sure about the same thing happened uh, it's probably happened to every single um black female entertainer um where one one conversation or one little bit of criticism will turn their lives upside down you know monique shouldn't be doing instagram lives yeah like she's an Oscar award winning actress. She's talented. She has weight in the game. She had her own sitcom. She has all these all these specials, these comedy specials like Monique should not be doing podcasts and doing Instagram lives or YouTube live videos of her working out. Like or what's why? those uh, that have been so popular over the pandemic is the live um, battles between different artists. Oh, the verses, the oh verses. It's like she could do a verses <laughs> of like herself and insert another, you know, black actress or something like that. Like she should not be doing that. Well, actually, now that you brought it up, I think <laughs> I would already? really. No, oh. no, she hasn't. But I would love to see a verses with famous comedians who are doing a roast battle like a dozens thing where they have to like make fun of each other that would be good and she would would win because she's talented but she's not (laughs) able to work she's not able Mm. to work the way that she should be able to because she's a black woman and unfortunately if you're looking at the totem pole especially if we're in the entertainment industry the very bottom not only not only support of the whole damn thing the 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 foundation is black women but the 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 lowest is going to be black women as well you know it's like your job is to hold us up when we need someone to to sing a tribute (laughs) and we know that we need somebody who's talented but you're definitely not going to be the star and it's to curse less it's screwed up (laughs) right and you know speaking of comedians or comedians in the space and um you know tiffany haddish if y'all haven't seen it she has a show on netflix called they ready it is so good so good but similar to lorraine hansberry in terms of meeting people where they are and uh really you know doing this kind of work tiffany haddish is meeting people on stage right Mm -hmm. and she's bringing people along with her to tell their stories and through comedy but um being able to you know help with this revolution um if you will of seeing more people that look like us in those spaces and she's she's definitely leading that way um with what she's doing in comedy there is i do too and there is this uh piece in the one of the last quotes that i remember from the documentary um with lorraine hansberry that reminded me of the panel discussion with um dr angela davis is that the problem is we have to find some way to show and encourage the white liberal to stop being a liberal and become an American radical. Oh. Oh. Isn't that good? Oh, that honestly, the first, my first reaction to that is impossible. No, no. <laughs> impossible. It sucks. <laughs> it so sucks. And it feels maybe impossible because I mean, Lorraine, when did, I don't know when that quote is from, but I mean, she died 64. in 65. This was in 64. Oh. So, yeah. oh. and here we are in 2021, still trying to, to convince people to do certain things. I won't get into details, but like, 
uh, right now in St. Louis, we are in our mayoral race mm. and we have, uh, in my opinion, we are most progressive um, candidate is the only black woman who who's running and the criticism of any of the candidates um, pale in comparison to what how they criticize this woman. And I can't help but to think that if we were just uh, using more radical eyes and listening to what she's actually saying and what she's actually wanting, we wouldn't be having half the conversations that we're having. No. That's on a local St. Louis level. Right. Hopefully by the time this is out, we have announced that she's our mayor. But um, yeah, we, <laughs> why I, do you think that maybe this is not, maybe this is too big of a question. Do you think that our biggest held back in our movement is people wanting to lean towards liberalism as opposed to being radical? Like, in yes, a safe because they don't know. Yes, if they don't know what being radical means. Mm. And I think we even said two episodes ago, we don't know what radical means, you know? Yeah. And now we know as a. Yeah you know, starting in the foundation and really reworking from there. So if there's no understanding of foundation of and how things got to where they are and what the root is that needs to be dug up, then you're not going to be able to be radical. Now we're on to our weekly Faith and Humanity Restored segment of the show where we give back uh, where you can by supporting businesses that incorporate giving from sales to charities or donating directly to the source. A dollar or a share, it all counts. I know a lot of the weekly Faith and Humanity has been centering businesses and highlighting Black business, and that's exactly what we're going to continue to do in various aspects. And so for this week, we're highlighting this beautiful candle company called Shilasa Aroma. I met uh, Jennifer Okafor on Clubhouse about a month or so ago. And I was just so intrigued by learning about her candle business. Um, the candles are this like Nigerian themed coconut hybrid blend candles that are hand poured in Los Angeles. Um, and so really, I, I just couldn't wait to be able to support her business and it being Women's History Month, I thought it would be appropriate to celebrate her and her business. Um, the candles come in the cutest little chic tins and the scent, just based upon the description, because what had happened was... I purchased this candle. It was supposed to be delivered right on time, and it was USPS delivered. However, USPS kind of failed on the allowing me to get my package from the box. The key doesn't work. So despite this, I still wanted to be able to highlight her business and... Um, because obviously this is no fault of her own. Shipping was timely. I think the candles are reasonably priced. I cannot wait to light it up and smell this candle. The candle I purchased is called Ebony's Soil. Um, I'll just read the description. As soon as I get to, well, I got to call you USPS and have them fix their error. Um, and so I can get into the stupid mailbox so I can get my candle. But the description on their site um, is Ebony State, Nigeria, better known as the salt of the nation, gets its slogan from the large deposits of salt found within their soil. The sea salt and fresh orchid fragrance candle is a smooth and elegant blend of soft floral notes with salty ebony soil highlights. You'll notice crisp ozonic notes of sea salt right out of the vessel. As your 
your candle burns, enjoy the jasmine, lily of the valley, and tonka bean take hold. I am so excited to get this. And y'all, her website is shilasaroma.com. I'll go ahead and put it in the show notes um, to spell it out um, as well, but it's C-H-I-L-A-S-A-R-O-M-A.com. Yeah, go ahead and check it out. I hope y'all enjoy. Do you have um, a black woman? I'll keep it in the black area. Do you have a black woman who was uh, contributed to pop culture that has inspired you to move or act in a certain way Hmm. or think in a certain way? That's a good question. I think there are multiple. I don't have one in particular, but... And this is this has been a progression too over the years. You know, my my grandmother, my dad's mom. Um, as I got older, I had a greater appreciation for her, which sucks that it you know it took so long. But you know, it is what it is. But I really had um, a beautiful relationship with her as I um, got older and would talk to her like at least once a week or every two weeks or so. And um, she was the biggest champion for me to have a, uh, give her a great grandchild, uh, mm-hmm. which unfortunately she didn't get to see because she passed a month before my son was due. It was really, mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking, but um, I admired her stance on education and what she would do. So um, she was a librarian. She was a teacher in um, a few different things, but all surrounding education. So she was a librarian. She was a teacher. Um, she even worked in the library at one of the local uh, prisons. And um, at least if I recall that correctly. And so she was just very, just well-educated. And of course that passed along to my dad and then how my dad raised us too. But um, I think I would say that that has shaped you know, my relationship with my grandmother. And then, you know, since then, um, I know it's not pop culture, but, um, like my aunt, my mom, I mean, these are all black women in my life. And more recently, um, granted meeting through social media, but, um, I love Dem Black Mama's, uh, Dem Black Mama's podcast. It's one of my favorites to listen to. Um, Love you, Jaya. Listen to her podcast. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being able to see Yvonne Orgy and Issa Ray um on screen. Um, I mean, that, that you know, this is all like kind of top of mind if you're thinking like Carrie Washington and others that like more prominent, well-known people. Um so yeah, like it, it just all shapes it, you know. Yeah. It just all shapes to who I am and and how I am. Yeah. I I guess I asked because I if someone was listening and didn't have a personal connection to women, especially black women, um, I just want to give them an idea of other women who aren't Oprah, <laughs> who right. they can look right. and learn from. Because I mean, not to take anything away from Oprah, of course, but right. I don't want anyone to get stuck in um, only having Harriet Tubman. Do you know what I'm right, saying? Like you don't right. want to get stuck into this is the one because it's not the one. I know right. plenty of people do not know who Lor- Lorraine Hansberry is. Right. They don't know. You yeah. Know. And I just learned more about her in getting ready for 
you know, this episode or even a couple of months ago as we, you know, put it onto the schedule. But I think what's really important for people to know is that you don't have to have, is that you should not have just one. Yeah. I think you should have multiple. And in having multiple, you can take what you like and what resonates with you from different people in being able to form how you want to move in the world and then creating your own path and being able to do so. So don't stick to one, you know, make sure you're branching out and you learn more about other people and have different approaches. Agree. Agree. And I think taking that same advice, I need to do a better job of reaching out beyond just black women. Cause I'm mm-hmm. always going to be drawn to black women. I'm always going to want sure. to hear the black female um, experience again, raised by women as raised by black women, but there are awesome Asian American women. I mentioned uh, Lulu, mm-hmm. Lulu Wang, who's an amazing director and did the farewell in, in such an incredible way. There are plenty of women out there who are great thinkers who mm-hmm. are in these marginalized groups that will keep them out of our purview. And the more that we get to share who we're inspired by, the more their stories will be told so long as we're listening to them, you know, as long as Absolutely. we're still looking for them. So I hope that everyone throughout this month is taking time to consider the contributions of women, especially women of color, especially black women mm-hmm. to our pop culture and our storytelling and find something that clicks. Absolutely. I hope y'all learned something new this episode and every episode really like we would love to know if you have any takeaways or just to get any feedback. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe to Real Relatable wherever you get your podcast and even share it with a friend or a family member who might benefit from this conversation. As always, Jonathan, it's always nice to hang out with you and delve into some topics we don't know about. A pleasure. I mean, this is one of my favorite topics is women. So I'm glad that we got to talk about it. I'm ready to yell about Janet Jackson and Monique another oh time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, we'll have to schedule that in another time. Yeah. You can follow me on social media at Donna Janine or the podcast at Real Relatable Podcast. Um, you can also email us or your thoughts or if you have any questions or whatever it is. And email us. Like, seriously, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yes. Tell us the things. Their email is is realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be sure to keep it real and stay relatable. Bye, guys. Bye.